and a pleasant good evening, Mets fans, and welcome back to the Pleasant Good Evening Podcast. Sam Levowitz and Jack Hendon for episode 46, I believe, of the Pleasant Good Evening Podcast in the final episode before the trade deadline, the dawn of the final week of the pre-trade deadline. Uh, the Mets, good baseball, maybe, perhaps, a 4-2 and two week against a decent Reds team and a decent Blue Jays team. Very entertaining series on both ends, and we're going to talk about both of them. But before we do that, uh, Jack, how's your weekend been, man? Weekend's been good. It's been a lot of fun. I say this all the time. I've said it on the episodes, like on the recordings, like, almost every Sunday when they take two or three and lose the last game. But I think it bears repeating again. It hits so much differently when you win two or three and you take the last game of that series. When you win the last game of a two of three to take two of three, it's so much better. And both of these games between the way the red series ended with Stroman going out there. And obviously this weekend with Diaz um, coming back, honestly, and cementing him, himself back into, I think, a lot of uh, people's trust as, as this team's closer are two really big uh, developments going forward. And it's really exciting because the adversity is, uh, it, it's only uh, getting more intense. So weekend was good. It was a lot of just nice, like, just release watching them play good baseball against like good teams, like maybe not so much the Reds, but the Blue Jays are a good offense and the Mets kept them in check every game, except obviously Saturday, but it was, it was pretty, pretty fun to see. Yeah. Always more fun to record coming off of a win, I think, and coming off of a positive uh, way to finish a series and a positive series overall, obviously winning today, five, four over the Blue Jays. You mentioned the Edwin Diaz, uh save we'll talk more about edwin because there's been some concern and i certainly have my concerns but he looked pretty good today um always good to record coming off win just like we did last week with uh the richard staff so if you guys haven't checked out our episode with rich uh go do that speaking of rich by the way uh rich hill is met uh that's another thing we got to talk about he was traded to the mets this week in a uh, three-player deal that sent our old friend Tommy Hunter and last year's fourth-round pick, who's a catcher who can't really hit, named Matt Dyer to the race for the ageless wonder Rich Hill, who made his Mets debut today in that 5-4 to four win over the Blue Jays. And Dick Staff last week, Dick Mountain this week. Daytime Dick on Sundays. Love it. Dick time. Dick Sundays for PGE. Uh Basically, just doing it by chucking up 69, 70-mile-an-hour curveballs and 85 to 87-mile-an-hour fastballs. And, you know, there's three earned runs on his credit after he left with the bases loaded and Seth Lugo allowed all three runners to score. But he was shut out through the first five, and frankly, he looked pretty effective. Yeah, he looked like a pitcher. I think that was the big thing. It was He looked like somebody who was accustomed to pitching with like a guy on base. I mean, the three leadoff doubles is not necessarily like what you would want to see from DeGrom or Taiwan Walker or Marcus Stroman, but like, you know, for Hill, it's, he pretty much like fought back with each of them. And I think what we're going to find, hopefully not the hard way going forward is that first five innings, Rich Hill is very good after the fifth inning, third time through the order. He's not, it, it's not 2018, 2019 anymore. Like 
he's just not really that dude, but he does fit this rotation well as somebody who can keep them alive um, and keep them from digging into their bullpen early. Cause he, he really did, I think, hold up through those five innings. He looked good. I thought he located the fastball better as the game went on. Um, and he started as he started to like mix that in, but it was. And then there was the conversation uh, of, you know, putting him back out there for the sixth inning, facing the top of the Blue Jays order for a third time after he had hit in the bottom of the fifth with two guys on and two out. Um, that was a big talking point on the timeline today. I think they should have hit for him. Um, like, yeah, I think we'll probably both agree on that one. And people were like, oh, there's a double header tomorrow. You're trying to get more innings out of him. I, I don't care. Go win the game. That's yeah. what I care about is you win the game that you're playing at that moment. You worry yeah. about tomorrow, tomorrow. Uh, he should not have faced that lineup a third time through. And he'd like done it before as a Ray and it hadn't gone well. Like, I think that, I don't know, man, I, I still have some moments where I don't really know if the keys are there with this, with this management group. I mean, that I, mean, I love Luis Rojas. I think like the team is doing a lot of good things because of him as opposed to like their past managers. But I mean, and it's not even just Rojas. Like this went to Dave Jouse on Monday in the 15-11 win, which was a very fun win. But when you consider the fact that it went to extra innings because they chose to pitch to Jesse Winker and not Mike Freeman with the base open and he gets the game tying hit. I mean, Mike Freeman's like the worst hitter on that roster and they just didn't believe in putting the winning run on base against an all-star like it's decisions like that where it's just I think it's it's very hard to fault the process um if you decide to you know make your situation easier and the Mets I think didn't do that but they also won both of those games and I think that's the that's the thing that we should be talking about because it falls on the players to do that I thought the comeback after the Blue Jays took that 3-1 lead was was superb I do too. And before we get into talking about our wonderful, lovable Peter Alonzo, uh, last thought on like the coaching staff there. I, yeah. I think Luis is so close to getting it. I think he's so close because he showed signs of like the whole like third time around the order thing. Mm-hmm. He did that with McGill on Friday where McGill yeah. was through six shutout, looked really, really strong, had an opportunity to pull him before he faced the, the lineup a third time through and did it. Like when you have these guys who are, either not proven in McGill's case, not top of the rotation guys that are proven or in Rich Hill's case, they're just not as effective as they used to be. Mm-hmm. You got to understand that regardless of results to that point, And regardless of pitch count, Hill was at like 50 pitches through five. Yeah. You just can't trust them, you know, against such a potent lineup third time through. And so it was frustrating for me to be like, to, uh, to see Rojas make the right call with McGill on Friday, even though yeah. fans were clamoring for him to stay in, uh, and then make the wrong call today when fans were saying, take him out, take him out, take him out. And yeah. uh, he, it just feels like he's he's real close to getting it, but yeah, it's not clicking for him all the way. But to your point on, on the positives, uh, yeah, that was fun today. The comeback after they fell behind 3-1 and then um, – the Blue Jays bullpen isn't good, and the Mets took advantage of that. Ryan Barucki is Pete Alonso's child. 
you face him twice in a series and you give up monster dongs to him both times. I think you should probably reevaluate your strategy. If you're the blue Jays for pitching to Pete Alonzo with Ryan Barucki twice, that probably shouldn't yeah. happen. Uh, but I mean, we're not complaining because it gave us, I think the photo of the year for the Mets, which is Pete doing the Michael Jordan shrug on his way down to first base I love after him. hitting a game tying home run. What do we do to deserve this guy? I love him. I love that moment. I thought me like for me personally, maybe it's just like my own, like Tim and Eric sense of humor, or, you know, or maybe like the, I think you should leave humor. Cause I have also started watching that and it's hilarious. Oh, I watched like, I watched the whole thing last week at the, you know, the nudging of my friends, our friends. Uh, yeah. Now I finally get all the referential humor in our, that group chat. Uh, yeah, but yeah, I like hid from it because I knew that I would get roasted. I was like, I'm not going to share with, you know, these very cultured people that I'm, that I haven't seen it yet, but it's great. It, um, but that sense of humor, it's like when Pete in the interview after the Friday game, when he had two homers and they asked him about the horse that was just sitting in the dugout, this, this stuffed pony with like a hoodie around its legs and like sunglasses on Pete just goes, Oh, that's the home run horse. And then just doesn't elaborate, just says it's the home run horse, doesn't elaborate. Like, damn, like he's just, he's really funny. He's great energy. Um, I think this whole team has really good energy, but I think we forget because he struggled a little bit at the plate, at least to return to like 2019 Alonzo, which is like, I mean, that's probably an unfair standard to hold him to at this point, but it's, it's not, I think he's always been like a very vocal and, and strong personality that has helped this team pull out some pretty important games and get off some pretty uh, rough streaks. Like he gives good interviews. He's a charitable person. Um, you know, he doesn't really give up even when he has bad at bats, even when he's struggling, like he's raised his, OPS like 50 points since the all-star break um there's been all this stuff about like the home run derby messing up your swing and it's I mean Pete's standing in the way of that but it's not even like he still has his power like he's 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 gotten better since this ended um he's probably the only one who comes up to the plate right now where I'm like yes they're gonna score and that's not to say other guys haven't been that but Pete is taking really good at bats too yeah Pete has this, he's, I think he's really locked in and it's really fun to see because of how fun a dude he is. And I missed it. And and that's sort of my piece on, on Pete. I, that was my favorite part. Yeah. He's got five homers in the nine games since the all-star break, including the two on Friday night and the game tying shot today. Also had a couple of first inning home runs in Cincinnati. Uh, he's just, when he's at his best, and he's not struggling and he's locked in like this and he's hitting the crap out of the baseball. That's when his personality really shines through when he's having fun on the field, the fans have fun around him because I feel like this fan base is able to really rally around him when he's doing so well because he is such a likable guy and he cares so much about this organization and about the fan base. Like, he wanted when he was out in Colorado for the home run derby, the only thing he cared about besides hitting lasers was representing New York. Well, representing his fan base and his city, which he said he feels like a part-timer in that city. So he appreciates when New Yorkers like accept him as a yeah. New Yorker sometimes. So that's why he chose the music that he did. 
when he was you know vibing on the field during the home run derby is because vibing on the field he like transformed into another human being on the field that was literally just vibing yeah yeah. and like that's i think something that a lot of the fans appreciate about him is that he really does everything that he does because he cares about the organization and about the fans is that he cares so much about how who he is on on the field like he's such an like an exceptional worker the work ethic is through the work through the the roof which we know because we've seen it on display with his defense we've also seen it with uh when he was a prospect because the book on him was that he's just a power hitter and then when we when he first came up in 2019 and he was spraying not just homers but hits and and well-struck doubles and stuff like that and working walks when he first came up it's like no this guy is a complete hitter when he's at his best uh, and that's a testament to his work ethic. And so I feel like he's a guy that this fan base rallies behind and it's really on display when he's playing well. And so I really try to relish these memories with him and these moments with him because we really haven't gotten too many since the end of 2019 when he broke the record. Yeah. Um, now, like this week with him hitting the absolute pus out of the baseball has just been a lot of fun. Yeah. And I think that there's probably something to be said about the fact that like, yes, they played three of these games at Great American Ballpark, which is just like the best hitters park probably in the league. I mean, if you take the the geographical factors out of Coors Field, it's definitely the best hitters park. But also like the Mets have been up there against like really bad pitching staffs and haven't done anything. They've been um in countless situations against like the Phillies bullpen and haven't been able to do anything. Like, I think that at this point, if you're going to, you know, get on them when they don't really do their jobs and they're supposed to, like, you should also credit them when they like are supposed to do their jobs and they do them because they, they fought back hard and losing Lindor. I guess ne- I didn't necessarily think that was going to, um, you know, bode well for them. And it, I mean, it didn't, it didn't bode well, right? Like losing Lindor sucks. And I, I can't wait till he comes back because that's another dude that you need in this mix. If you want to go very, you know, if you want to go far in the playoffs, but you still have, I think an air of fight back within this group, despite that happening, which is really encouraging. Um, That's a lot. I think with the offense, Um, I mean, we could go through like each of the players because it will really, it wasn't just Pete Luis Guillorme has also been like, He's, he's taken that, I think, everyday position in Lindor's absence, and, and he's run with it. The errors on Monday sucked. Once you put that away, he's, he hasn't really done anything wrong, like, at all. And he's been hitting. He's, he's nine, he was 9 for 20 this week. Like, 9 for 20. With elite plate discipline and a home yeah. run? Yeah, and a home run. I mean, great American ballpark, but it was a home run. You went to right center. That wasn't unlegit. Yeah. Like he, he gets credit for that. That was cool. You see the the tag he made today too. Like under his, that was so cool. He was like a center snapping a football, like tagging out Kirk, just no look, snap the glove, got him on a pickoff to first. Like, God, I, I, I'm really happy. He's, he's like had his moment this year where he's arrived. He's a very entertaining player, like a very entertaining player to watch. I mean, defensively, I know he had the errors, whatever, like it happens, but he he has the best hands defensively that I think yeah. I've ever seen. Especially so. at second base, he gets to everything, even though he's not a plus runner. 
his transfers are just silly. Yeah. And that, yeah, the plate, like, I think that that's something that he probably alerted McCann to, or Nito, actually. I think that's probably something that they've worked on. Yeah. On a bunt play, Guillaume as the second baseman moving in behind the runner at first base on a back pick. That's not something that you see, but he's a really smart defensive player. He knows exactly what he's doing at all, you know, when he's on the field at all points. And, and yeah. He's never had a bad moment at second either. That's the other thing. Like he's a good enough glove that you can put him at third and you'll be fine. You can put him at short and you'll be fine. But when you put him at second, that's probably where he's his best. And Guillaume at his best is like probably one of the best, maybe the best defensive player. Uh, No, not the best defensive player in the division because Trey Turner is pretty good, but he's, he's, I mean, he's just very underrated. And he obviously flew under the radar this week because you had like, you know, James McCann spraying RBIs and Brandon Nimmo drawing walks from the top of the order. And like the whole narrative has been that Nimmo has been a godsend and, you know, it continues to, to prove that, that right. But Yorme had a really good week. You could like maybe theoretically consider batting him towards the top of the lineup, one lead off or two. And Maybe flip flopping him with Nimmo, maybe leading him off and then Nimmo too. That, those are like two four hundred percent, four hundred on base percentage guys. Yeah, like, that would be very interesting to me as an idea. And I get that you're probably not going to do that because the type of hitter Guillaume is, right. not a power guy, really just a singles hitter. But even with the singles, he just like he might have better plate discipline than Nimmo. Yeah. Like this dude's understanding of the strike zone is elite he is he has a really good idea of what he's doing up there he handles the bat well he really doesn't swing and miss much he doesn't strike out much mm-hmm. and he takes his walks he's a habit he is a habit of when he falls behind in the count and we, this was on full display obviously in spring yeah. training with the long ass at bat against jordan hicks when he falls behind in a count he has an incredible talent of just getting a piece of a baseball, fouling it off, wasting it. Yeah. Wasting it. And then waiting for balls and eventually working back from a one Oh and two or one and two count and taking like an eight pitch walk. Yeah. Yeah. He's extremely valuable. Um, That's offense. That's been the offense. We also have the pitching staff. I mean, the Hill trade, we could probably spend some time talking about like what that entails for the rest of the pitching staff. Cause I don't think, I'm certainly not under the impression that this is the acquisition that the Mets are making. This is one of the ones that they've made because of how short staffed they've been, but also like the light is kind of at the end of the tunnel. You need to be prepared. You need a lot more uh, backup plans because of how many of them have gotten hurt already. Like Yamamoto is not going to be back till August. I you know, every time he pitches and you need to clear a spot and get him off the roster, you put him through waivers. Like, and he's also not very good. Um, but with Rich Hill here and McGill also kind of like, I think really asserting himself as somebody who can, can give you six innings. Now, by the time Carrasco comes back, which is soon, you're going to have a five man rotation again for the first time in a while. And that's not including Jacob deGrom. That's Stroman, Walker, McGill, Hill, Carrasco. And like, yeah. And I mean, Carrasco's next turn is going to be up at the major league team, I believe, because he it probably pretty, will. Be. He had a good rehab start today for Syracuse. I think he struck out six over three innings 
uh, and threw over 50 pitches. Yeah. And DeGrom is getting close to a rehab start, and they're expecting him first week of August back with the big club. So we're getting close to like having some reinforcements back. And then in the blink of an eye, by the time DeGrom is back, hopefully if everything's according to plan, then you're probably a week or two out from Lindor retor- returning. At that point, you're going to know who you've traded for besides Rich Hill. And I agree with you. I think there's more moves to come. Yeah. Uh, and then if everyone can stay healthy down August and September, you got a pretty damn complete baseball team. Very um, big if. Because we, we like, as soon as we got all those hitters together and Lindor went down, like, that got taken away before that first game, like, even ended. But, yeah. And then, then there was the, the issue that sprung up with McNeil this week where we were like, oh, my God, did he pull his hamstring again? Yeah. Guess guess not. Uh, I mean, and he came he came up huge today with the go ahead pinch hit double. Yeah. After we weren't even sure if he was like alive, really, uh, with the weird dead leg thing he had been going through. Yeah, they uh, definitely were playing the not a setback thing there, except with a not an IL stint. That I mean, I was shocked that they were uh, that they gave him the bat this time around. But I guess he's doing well. I mean, I guess I was just shocked that he's not dead so to speak but that was yeah the goal i know pregame was that he'd be available to pinch hit if necessary and then hopefully to start on monday in one of the double header games so we'll see if that comes to fruition uh hopefully it does but it was good to see him come off you know it's been a tough year for jeff with the injury and then the batting averages in the 230s and hasn't shown a lot of power um he had that really nice moment early in the season we had that clutch game tying home run against the Marlins. Yeah, that was the Conforto hit by pitch game. Yeah. And uh, then he so had the hit against the Brewers, which was also great. He's just Yeah. You're still waiting I think for him to really like claim his his place, but also like I think with this last injury it might just be apparent that like he hasn't been playing 100% since he came back off the injury list, which like you know, I think you you kind of just make do with it because the depth is so bled out and he's also like he's not a super young player either like he got started fairly late um whatever you get out of him here to to make it all the way to the end I think you just have to kind of do it and you play each game as it is um I mean tomorrow is going to be we have to we have the whole brave series that we haven't really I think like delved into but tomorrow is going to be probably hopefully knock on wood the last TBD game that we deal with for some time because they don't have anyone for tomorrow. And as I said earlier, Eikhoff's a free agent. Um, Stock hurt himself. Robert Stock got hurt on Tuesday and he's already been put on the 60 day injured list. Like it, the season's probably over for him. Corey Oswalt we know is, is on the 60. Uh, Sean Reed Foley is still on the 10, but there hasn't been any update and it's like elbow inflammation. So, you know, Godspeed. David Peterson's season is over. That also happened. He broke uh he had a Jones fracture in his foot. I don't know where that is. It happened while he was walking down some stairs, a very uh, Jerry Blevins type injury. And it's, he's going to undergo surgery and his season's over. And that pretty much leaves only three arms uh, who you could like call on to give you two, three innings. And then you hand it off to whoever else in your bullpen you can. And those three names are Yenzi Diaz, Nick Chirpiano, and Anthony Bonda. Bonda, I'm not a fan of at all. Tropiano, I'm not a fan of at all. Yancey, I don't know how much longer they can pitch him in games just because, like, he keeps having, like, okay appearances where he doesn't allow runs. But, like, he, I, I feel like one of those is eventually going to go wrong. 
sorry, uh, eventually gonna, I think, blow up. Maybe this is just the day you take it, but like they really don't have anything for Monday. So, well, they got, yeah, I mean, after Strowman goes game one, who's coming off his best, his best start of the year where he went eight shutout in the finale in Cincinnati, which was very, very cool. Uh, yeah, hopefully he's able to put up another start so that we can like finally have some confidence in, in Stro again because much like what Taiwan Walker is going through right now, Stro had a few weeks where he was kind of getting hit around a little bit. Yeah, uh, struggling to throw strikes, not going deep in games. And uh, hopefully another really strong start tomorrow against the Braves dispels any notion that maybe he isn't as good as he was to start the year. Um, Taiwan Walker would be nice to have a good start next time out too. It's a big series. This is a five-game set against the Braves, who are five games behind the Mets in the division standings. They're in third place. The Phillies are four back heading into this series. If the Mets get swept, regardless of what the Phillies do, they're out of first place because the Braves will be tied with them Mm -hmm. because the Braves, again, five back with five head-to-head coming this week, including uh, the doubleheader on Monday. So you kind of need to win some of these baseball games. Yeah. Because this is an opportunity to bury the Braves. Yeah, you could kill them. You could, I mean, five-game sweeps are the rarest of sweeps, but you would put them 10 back at the end of the deadline. You would kill them. You would literally finish their season. Effectively, yeah. Obviously, still got to play out the season, but... Uh, yeah, that would, uh, that would pretty much do them in. Um, yeah, I mean, six days to the deadline, this series is going to be, you're going to have a pretty good idea of where you're at when you're the Braves come deadline time, uh, based on this series. Could the Braves, I know they've already added a couple pieces. They've added Steven Vogt and Jock Peterson, uh, to kind of add some thump back to their lineup post Acuna injury. They made a mistake, though, because they cut Inciarte, which ahead of a series against the Mets, I don't know why they do that, but I guess they have something else cooking. But, yeah, go on. But, I mean, the Braves could theoretically be sellers when we look up on July 31st. Yeah. Because of the series, I hope that would be the case. That would be would I think. They would have, like, who they have to deal. Morton, they could could hand off – um they should just well, trade the, they should just trade Freddie Freeman to the Mets. They could, yeah. That 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 I think that would work. You might Freddie have Freddie Freeman third baseman. Yeah, exactly. There you go. You might have to trade JD Davis and like a prospect, but you know, it, it is Freddie small Freeman. price to pay for salvation. Yeah. I for getting that. to get Freddie Freeman and Jacob deGrom on the same team. They could also just like, I mean, really what it is with the Braves is I'm more afraid of them like buying in and actually putting a roster together in the wake of them losing a competitive roster because they don't really have that many guys. I mean, I guess they can do stuff with their bullpen, but nothing that they can effectively like do a fire sale on if, if they get thumped, they could just like pack it up and, 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 you know, just come back next year with, with a similar group. Um, which but is probably the, the likelier outcome. Yeah, it's the thought of them staying in this thing long enough to actually have an excuse to buy, which kind of scares me because they do have a good farm system. They have the prospect capital to make that happen. Um, I'm yeah. more scared of them than the Phillies, even though the Phillies are ahead. I think the Phillies just like 
it's like an it's like a mathematical thing like with asymptotes where like they just can never reach one point just they cannot finish games they can't get vaccinated they can't like they just they can't get out of their own way i don't see how the phillies pull this off in a way that like the braves couldn't i think the only thing that's going to make me actually scared of the phillies is if they like pull off the bryant and kimbrell trade joint like get them both to add some thump to the lineup and then get an elite reliever into their bullpen because their bullpen there is bad uh you never fix a bullpen though with just one guy though i don't that's true you can push it over the top with one guy if you're close enough but like they're so disheveled it's it's which which the mets should consider doing i'll put it on record right now the mets should not just trade for a starter they should also trade for a reliever and a bat yeah i I mean i mean the well this is the last episode until the trade deadline. The trade deadline, there's there's going to be some names moved. Before we recorded, uh, Adam Frazier got dealt to the Padres for a pretty light return. Mm-hmm. There's some names. I mean, and that also kind of inspires some confidence to me that maybe the giant rumored packages that, you know, that some teams wanted for their guys that they were going to move aren't going to happen. Yeah. Maybe Gat like someone like Gallo probably still gets a bigger return than Frazier, but he has him and, and Barrios both had an extra year like Frazier and Frazier. It was a pretty light return. And I understand sometimes maybe that's just pirates being pirates, but if that sets the market on a bat with an extra year of control, that might make Joey Gallo easier to pry uh, on the flip side. It absolutely makes someone like Trevor story easier to pry. You would imagine, uh, I still think the trade to make here for the Mets is Trevor Story and Jonathan Gray together. Uh, Gray's put up some better starts recently since coming back off the injured list. Get him out of cores. I think maybe the stuff plays up better. Yeah. Um, put him with, with uh, give him a couple bullpen sessions with Jeremy Hefner, see if they can figure anything out mechanically or whatever. It's just the spin that's like a concern with him. And that's also like, potentially a course thing so like yeah uh, i mean that's i think that's a deal that i would make heck maybe you could see if you could snag michael Givens in that trade too Mm -hmm. um that would just be like a one fell swoop team fixer upper deal yeah you get a starter reliever and and a bat yeah that's I i mean i'm down if you're down i'm down with it i think it's rare that you see a team like throw three guys off the board or off the ship during a deadline because they want to like package each one individually and enjoy has like he's bounced back um so it's not totally out of the picture if you were to just do like gray and gibbons i'd also be very happy i think that like if i were to order it it would be like you need the rotation the most you need rotation reinforcements the most because somebody between McGill or Hill uh, or even like potentially like Carrasco, if you're not getting innings out of him could then filter into the bullpen, become an innings guy. And that will by proxy improve the bullpen. I think bullpen is second most important uh, because you have guys who have been worked to death this year. Castro is the most obvious example. We, We haven't seen Jerry's Familia have a season like this in like three years. And I love Jerry's Familia as he's performed so far, but you also need to like be careful. And Trevor May isn't super consistent. And 
I mean, you really need to decide if like Edwin Diaz is the guy you're going to give the ninth inning to every time you're in the playoffs, or if you want to go to like Craig Kimbrell or Richard Rodriguez, even, I mean, Rodriguez is a no playoff experience, but he also, when he's, I would imagine when he's off, it's not as obviously off as Diaz is. And then the bat would be the third most important for me, just because like they're hitting right now. Um, the most expensive bats story. I really like, I think the Cubs are holding out for a big deal for Bryant that would entail either giving away big prospects or um, like taking on Kyle Hendricks's contract, which Hendricks isn't bad, but also like that's a, that's a contract that may conceivably push you out of the running this off season to like re-sign Stroman or can, or Syndergaard even. So that's how I would stack them up, but He's also kind of another gimmicky pitcher like Rich Hill where he throws 86 and is just yeah. kind of trying to avoid the barrel. And if he hit, hits the barrel, he's screwed. Yeah. Um, prefer to stay away from those guys if at all possible. Uh, like I get that he's been good. It just, it concerns me because he's not the type of prototypical normal pitcher that you get. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I agree with you. I think that, I think they wind up trading for a bat who's probably a rental and a guy who can play multiple positions. I think Bryant still makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Uh, Cause he can stand out at five positions. You could play him in all three outfield spots. You can play him at third. You can play him at first. Is he mm-hmm. good at those spots? No. Uh, is he capable enough to, to see you can confidently pencil him in the lineup at those spots? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Story's a guy that is a shortstop, obviously. That's where he would play until Lindor comes back. And then at that point, you probably slide him off to third base, which is something he'd probably be okay with doing because he's a pending free agent. Lots yeah. of teams already have good shortstops. Not a lot of teams necessarily have both a good shortstop and a good third baseman. If Trevor Story can play an adequate third base, that boosts his free agent value. Um, so I think both he'd be okay with doing also that. Take- the, sorry, both of those deals take the pressure off having to play like McNeil if he's really hurt. That's the other thing I've been mm-hmm. thinking about. Like you could just, you know, stick him on the aisle and hope he comes back in time. But let me, I'll let you finish. Sorry. Yeah, it also provides you an opportunity to kind of mix and match a little bit. If there's a yeah. day where you're playing a left-hander and you got Trevor Story, you no longer have to necessarily have uh, McNeil and Dom Smith in the lineup. If you, I know Dom has been really good against lefties, but if you want to get one of your left-handed bats out of the lineup against the tough left-hander, you yeah. can do that because now you have that extra right-handed bat. It opens up an opportunity to, for instance, sit Dom, move mm-hmm. McNeil out to left field for the day, and have Guillaume or VR play second base. Or keep um, JD off of third. Oh, yeah. Or, yeah. And I mean, yeah. JD could theoretically spell someone in left field too for a day. Because yeah. he's done that before. Uh, yeah, I think I think story makes a lot of sense. I don't think it's getting talked about all that much. I think the Yankees had more story buzz than the Mets, which is baffling to me because uh, the Yankees keep losing real bad baseball. They got to win some games, man. I, I don't know how else to put it. Like they got to stop doing this. It's 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 fun for me. I get something out of it. They they're not gonna. They, they can't really seriously buy if this keeps happening, right? Like they're becoming such a... Yankee fans are becoming as jaded as we normally are. I have friends who are Yankee fans, and they're just like, I don't know what what I when they like when they blew the game on, today on Sunday, like just like I don't even know what I expected from this team anymore. And I'm like, wow, that sounds like a Mets fan. Yeah, 
one of us if this is something that like in, a, in like 20 30 years these two franchises took divergent paths and people were like it's like the curse of, of the cohen curse or something like i mean this is year one of it but if george was still alive if george was still alive, if george was still alive he would call half of those players like 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 morons pansies oh worse than that i mean remember what he called that pitcher the japanese pitcher uh irabu who like failed to cover first probably doesn't need repeating well it wasn't it wasn't racist but he did call him a fat toad which like you okay, can't that's that's can't actually very much worth repeating that's hilarious it, 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 it if it were mites he might be really like embarrassed but also oh yeah for sure but in a well, vacuum can also going back to the deadline thing uh i don't get this i think that there are like two and i i feel like i go to war with like the schools of thought every time we talk deadline because like in actuality like i'm not very smart about any of this either and i don't i can't forecast what's happening right but like there are really people who are like positionally this doesn't work to trade for story because like Lindor's the shortstop and it's like do you see what the padres are doing right now like they don't, they don't, they, they teach these players how to play like any position and it works fine. There like, was a report that came out today after the Frazier trade that the Padres had been in contact over Trevor story with the idea of playing him in center field. Yeah. They have the, yeah, they have like, and I, people are like, Oh, the Mets don't really have the infrastructure to do that. Like they just turn their defense in like the third best in the national league or something like they could yeah. do it. It's you don't balk at getting a guy like Trevor story. I mean, we talk so much about like 2015 being a great year. Like everyone loves the 2015 Mets because they know that the World Series is more important than like the fact that Daniel Murphy was a middle infielder on that team. And that Cespedes had to play center field. Yeah. And Wilmer Flores had to play short. Yeah. Like that team went very far with worse players, even more out of position. You can't seriously do that. And I also think like, and this is the nice part about this being our last deadline thing is I don't have to go like, you know, nuts about it anymore. But like, if it's not a top five prospect, like you should just deal them. Like, or I guess top six, because you have Kumar now, but it's like, like Mark Bientos, like, all right. If they're not asking you to actually go into your trove of talent and give up somebody like, you know, like Matt Allen or Pete Crow Armstrong, and they're just asking for like JT JT Ginn after you got like I don't know how many pitchers in this draft class like you pull the trigger on that there no team I don't care how light the return that Pittsburgh got was no team is going to be like yes we will take Thomas Sapucky and we will take Jake Mangum off your hands for you know Kyle Gibson like that's not going to happen there's no way yeah uh yeah you just you go get go get like athletic good players and figure it out is pretty much it you just you figure it out if they help your team if they work in the lineup make it work man yeah like i'll be shocked first of all if mark vientos is still in this organization come next tuesday or whenever the deadline you know i'll I'll be shocked um it certainly seems as though as though he's going to get traded he's a 21 almost 22 year old who's go having a, a, a i don't want to call him a breakout year uh, offensively, but he's been really hot for like a month now, yeah. uh, hitting a, for a lot of power. He's got like 17 homers in double A right now. The issue with him is that do you buy him long-term 
as a third baseman, a corner outfielder, or as a first base DH type. I think the most likely outcome is he's a first base DH type because you really can't play third base. And the mm. reports we've gotten on him and the corner outfield spots, real, real bad. So I, I think if you can convince a team he's a third baseman long-term, uh, he becomes a much, much more valuable prospect. Um, but for now, he's a, he's a first baseman, right-hand hitting first baseman with power. And those kind of are pretty common. So, yeah. You're also trying to win a World Series, you know? Like, I mean, I think about the Cespedes trade all the time. Like, in really, like, when you think about that deal, the deal that I think sent them over the top from, like, a team in first place ahead of the Nationals barely to a team that basically took that division handily was the fact that they took they they were willing to deal Michael Fulmer who was probably their best pitching prospect who hadn't been called up yet to that point like that was pretty much like their guy and they said for one year Cespedes we're going to do it and it was a big deal like Chris Bryant is a pretty transformative hitter again I think that the focus should be pitching just because of how good the offense already is but like you know I mean Jose Barrios like sure I would that would probably like deal like Ryan Mauricio in that in that situation I would probably I would definitely deal someone who isn't within that top six but I'm already like you'd already have to consider like giving up somebody good in these circumstances like especially also because players are getting hurt all the time like you're literally going to need that reinforcement sometime anyway would you rather the next guy you're calling on be someone that you just traded for who's on a flight over or somebody who like you basically purchased from like uh, the Sugarland Skeeters because your AAA roster was already depleted. Like, like, <laughs> well, yeah, you know? I, yeah. I, I will. I agree with you. I would trade Mauricio too. I think I've been having him kind of talk down to me for a little bit. Yeah, by some people whose opinions I trust, and not that he's a bad prospect. Still, probably a top hundred prospect in baseball. But uh, and and I'm not even getting like bad reports. They're just like, yeah. I mean you have an opportunity to trade him for a good player. You should do it. He's not a guy that you really should prospect hug. Whereas like a Beatty and definitely an Alvarez guys are getting better. Yeah. And to a lesser extent, Matt Allen, those are guys that you should probably hold on to. Um, I, I, it can go any number of directions. My, my heart is still set on them trading for Joey Gallo. I want it so bad. I want it so bad. I want it so bad, Uh, but it's not going to happen. I don't think, I don't think Gallo winds up getting moved. Uh, and frankly, if he does, I'm still real, real frightened that the Padres are going to be able to pull something together because they kept pretty much all of their staple of young, tradable top prospects uh, post Adam Frazier. So I they have the more ammunition. Is probably smarter than Pittsburgh's front office, but I also think, yeah, like it's. I it's mean, if they have guys, if they have guys who are, if they have top prospect guys that they're willing to trade still uh they could probably just go get gallo if they wanted to and they have been linked to him also heard the blue jays are like oddly hot on joey gallo we'll see if that's a thing uh i mean i don't like i want the mets to trade for joey gallo so badly i think that'd be really fun it would would be be fun i think though if they do expend some uh decent prospects at the deadline for a non-rental i think it's probably barrios yeah um other than that mets Take my idea, Trevor Story and John Gray. It works. Do it. It fix. It fixes things. Yeah. Or plugs holes. Do it. They're both rentals. And the Rockies suck at this. 
they're really yeah. bad at these deals like that's the other component of this like they're really really dumb they're either i mean most of these teams with the hill trade too it was like at first we were all really scared i think because we know that the race front office will take whoever they inexplicably trade uh they'll bring in the guy that they get in return and develop him into like, you know, a, like Xavier Edwards is the best example I can think of like the slapdick prospect, but um, like they just did a salary dump. That was just a dump. Like they literally just, despite being buyers and being like a team that just got Nelson Cruz uh, and is in the driver's seat for that division and may very well go back to the world series. They're like, no, we we're paying Rich Hill too much. Can you just like take him and we'll, we'll like, you know, and they didn't even really save anything because we gave him Tommy Hunter, who has like the same salary. Right. I don't know what it is. I, I, I am kind of sad that Hunter's gone, despite the fact that he may not actually pitch for this for the Rays either. Like, yeah, I don't think he will. No, I think that's done. It is kind of sad because we are getting to that point in the year where like you just 60 day guys and it's finished, you know, because of how little time there is left in the season. And in some cases, they're like, I mean, they lost Billy McKinney and Janeshwi Fargus to other teams this past week, which like, you know, on one hand, it's like, you know, you have like, you have good players coming back and that's why that's happening. But it's also like, damn, like I kind of, I could have gone for like another couple games of either of those two guys. It was, it was fun enough, you know? Right. So before we uh, remember some guys, we kind of haven't done the mid-roll ad thing yet. So let's. Take just a breather for a moment and do a little mid-roll ad. It's really more of a almost end-roll ad here. We'll do that. We'll take a quick breather, and then we will come back. And uh, I think we'll remember some guys and get out of here. The guys will be remembered. Let's go. Welcome back. Hope you guys enjoyed the advertisement. And uh, we pretty much talked about everything we want to talk about today, um, ranging from the Cincinnati and Toronto series to recapping or uh, previewing the Braves series up ahead this week and talking trade deadline, all that stuff. So why don't we remember some guys, Jack, who do you got? Um, I think in the spirit of trades and in the spirit of guys and in the spirit of the bench uh, and also in the spirit of like time, because this happened six years ago today, when the Mets made the trade for this dude, I'm remembering Juan Uribe. I really Yay. miss Juan Uribe. Oh, I love Juan Uribe. He was like, I mean, he was just one of the funniest dudes the Mets ever brought into a clubhouse. I think that there's so many Sano, who we brought on would definitely agree. Like part of what's been so difficult with, um, you know, the fallout of COVID um, is that media, you know, beat guys don't have access to this sort of stuff. Um, you know, people who write for the team don't get to go into the locker room. And I think share stories like Mark Carrig was able to because Uribe would offer cigars to reporters. Um, he would uh, dance in the clubhouse, like to the point where everyone in the clubhouse would actually stop to watch him. It wasn't just like some dude listening to his music. Like he was such a personality. Um, he, he, and- uh, he wasn't just cigars. He'd offer like Kahlua soaked uh, tobacco chew. yeah yeah to guys uh there's so many wandering based stories both with the mets and not with the mets um great that fact that up, man love him he didn't have uh a cup that fit him to wear 
at one point in his career. Um, I think that was after he left the Mets and he went to Cleveland. Yeah, I think so. There was, of course, the famous Carrig tweet of what he what he said on a Saturday pregame when college football was on the TVs in the clubhouse, um, which, you know, you guys know the quote by now. No more football. No more bleeping football. Baseball, that's what I want to watch. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Monterey he like he was hurt through the uh, the first part of that postseason, and then they like got him back just in time for the World Series when they could make him a DH. And um, I don't think he got that many at bats, but he did have an RBI in like the one game that they won, I think, which was cool. And then there was um, the, I mean, I think his one shining moment as a Met was against his former team. It was that walk off wall ball double against Kenley Jansen. Yeah, that was cool. That was like right before that was the same series where like Kershaw almost no hit them. It was no, that was um it was like his uh oh man, it was like two days after Rebe had gotten traded here. Yeah. It was that same series because I, well, I think the Braves traded him to the Mets. Oh yes, but it was it, it yeah. was the same series he had been traded here because that was a really eventful series because that that series, I think it was a four-game set, the Thursday night game was Michael Conforto's major league debut. It was John right. Reese pitching, even though his wife was in labor and getting shelled. I was at that game. Jesus. Then, then game two, the Friday night game, was when the Mets just went to town on Zach Lee. Yeah. scored like 14 runs off of him, and Conforto had like three or four hits, his first three or four hits, including a double, and we were all like orgasming over his swing, uh, yeah. which was a lot of fun. And then I don't remember the Saturday game, but the Sunday game uh, was the walk-off hit that yeah. Uribe had off of Kenley Jansen. A super I think eventful that game series. started with Zach Greinke losing his scoreless streak. Yes. Like he had this ridiculously long streak, and like Wait. I think he like hit someone with the bases loaded. No, wasn't it? Wasn't it Degrom who had like an RBI fielder's choice? Probably was. It was probably Degrom. I feel like that makes a lot of sense. I think DeGrom drove in the run in that game to yeah. break Granky's scoreless streak. And then I, I assume Kershaw probably pitched the Saturday game of that four-game set. I think his was – I mean, I'd have to check. I'm not sure. They definitely uh, – they split it, that series, though, which was cool. I think you're right, but super eventful series. And uh, that was, like, his first moment as a Met, and we loved him from that point forward. Yep. God bless Juan Uribe. I think about him more often than I should. What a man. What a man. You have a guy. You have to name a guy. Yeah, my guy's not as good. I was going to remember Wilmer Font today because the Mets were playing the Blue Jays and, again, trades. Oh, yeah. uh, And they got – gave up too much for Wilmer Font. Well, there was – yeah, there was – that's a lot of elements. That's like the Rays – trade deadline and the guy's name is Wilmer and his last name starts with an F um, depth pitcher who wasn't very good. Um, yeah. I mean, those, that's like a, that's, that's a hat trick. That's three big ones. That's it's a topical guy. They, they traded like a 17 year old Dominican kid who throws a hundred for yeah. him because he's like a lottery ticket. And now he's like actually a good prospect with the Rays. Yeah. 
Geraldo uh, Catalina, right? Geraldo Catalina. Six yeah. foot eight, and they just and handed he, him over. He pitched for the Mets for 15 games, three starts, a 4.94 ERA in 31 innings with uh, 29 hits allowed and uh, like eight homers in 31 innings. God. Very bad. He was very bad. And then he went to the Blue Jays, and he was like half decent for a second there in mm-hmm. uh, – in 2019, he had like a 3-6. So, I don't know, man. I was – yeah, Wilmer Fawn. I I don't have fond memories of him, but he was in the KBO this year. Or he is in the KBO, putting up decent numbers. He's coming back like Flexen, dude. All, Maybe. All of them. His numbers aren't as dominant as Flexen's were in the KBO. Yeah. Not so, yet. 3.58. Or 3.48. It's a 3.58 RA9. That sounds right. Yeah. That's about it. That's about right. That's a good place to that's a good place. That's a good set of guys to cap off this episode. By this time next week, we're gonna have black jerseys. Yeah. Um possibly a new breakdown. I'm gonna do my best to get it ready. Cause I have the game picked and I have the the, the stuff, I guess like the clip's ready. It's just the audio, which is always like the hardest part because that's where the most editing happens. But I'll definitely try and have it by Friday. And then we'll have, a, we'll have new players, hopefully. Hopefully. That's yeah. exceptional. Oh, it's going to be a good week. It's going to be a good week. Hopefully that the, the, the guys on the field do the things they need to do to make it as good a week as it should be. Uh, but that's a good place to put a pin in it. Um, maybe even a guest next week. We'll have to talk about that more. But his name's Jack Hendon. My name's Sam Lebowitz and Mets fans. Have a pleasant week.